Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do, turn to the book of Isaiah. We are in the 19th chapter. You know, as we've been, as we've been going through uh, Isaiah here, and, and if you've noticed, there's, there seems to be a common theme that the world is not quite as perfect as it probably should be. It was that way during the time of Isaiah. It was, it's that way today. And if we, you know, we've talked about this before, if we open our newspapers or our news feeds or if we turn on uh, any of the plethora of 24-hour news programs that are out there, we're gonna, we get an uneasy feeling that maybe something's not quite right. Something is happening in our world, something's happening in our society that has the potential to shake us at the very core. Two Sundays ago, we looked at how the nations are struggling against each other. How the nations are raging and how, as believers in Christ, there are times that we feel like we're caught in a riptide, that the water is it's trying to pull us under. But if we look at Psalm 11, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow, they have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? You know, we may read that and we may think, well, yeah, that's, I mean, what can we do? What can we do as believers in this world that seems to be going insane at times? What can we do about the path that this world is on? But see, that the, these verses in Psalm actually tell us something a little different. Because it begins with, in the Lord, I take refuge. It's in the Lord that I find myself. It's in the Lord where I find my grounding. It's in the Lord where I find my foundation. And if I have my foundation in the Lord, all these things are going to happen. But, okay. So they happen. That is the answer. Finding your refuge in Christ. Because see, we have to remember that, just like we talked about last week, is that we've got a God who delights in us. He, he finds joy in us. His desire is not to have us be worried about the things that are going on around us. We are to be concerned about them. We're to watch for them. We're to react to them in ways that bring Him glory. But we're not to sit and, and be afraid. Fear is never an option with God. Unless it's the fear of the Lord. He delights in us. And, and yes, He is the one who's either shaking the foundations or allowing them to be shaken. And why is He doing this? Because most of our world, and many of us, have built our foundation on sand. We've built it on something that cannot stand instead of building it 
on something that's stable. We have built it on something unstable. Many people look at the path that our country is on, and you know, we, we think about what our country, what country was founded on. We, most of us probably think that, believe that at least it was a biblical understanding. There was a biblical worldview. There was, you know, we're founded on a faith. Not everyone, obviously, we're not, we're not foolish enough to think that every founding father was a, a true, really good Christian, whatever you want to determine good is. But needless to say, we understand that there were different thoughts. We look at the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, and we think, wow, it's, that's what it's founded on, but it doesn't seem like it's that way anymore. So there are many who believe that this country is going to split. Possible. Not out of the question. I don't know if you looked at her in the news recently that Republicans in, in Texas have already started talking about Texas splitting off as its own country. They can do that. They were a republic. They were their own country at one time. They're still a republic. It's the Republic of Texas, by the way. So it's possible that this could happen. Our very foundations as a nation is being shaken because it's always built on sand. It has not truly been built on the rock, the foundation of the word of God and of the work of Jesus Christ. So as we come to Isaiah 19, remember Isaiah has been doing these, giving these oracles that God has given him about the nations that are around Judah. And nations, last week we talked about the Ethiopians or the, the, the Egyptians at that time too, because Ethiopia had taken over Egypt are coming. They're coming with, an, with emissaries to probably, we don't know, probably to, to create a treaty so that they can fight against the Assyrians. And God says, no, go back. This is not what you're going to be doing. This is not what I want. But we also see that in verse chapter 19, we're going to find that God is going to shake the foundation of Egypt, just as he's doing with us today. He is stripping from them their arrogant self-importance. I'm afraid that as a country, at times, we have a tendency to be arrogantly self-important. I think that part of the problem on both sides of the war in Ukraine is the fact that we have arrogant self-importance going on. But another thing that the Egyptians had, and what many of us have today, I think, as, as a country, as a nation, is the love for human wisdom. We think we're so smart. We think we know everything. I don't care what you think about COVID and what all that was, but if you really follow it, you'll find out that they said this, then they said this, then they changed it to that, and they changed it to that, and they changed it to that. If they would have just said at the beginning, we really don't know, let's try this. But they said, no, this is the way it is. This is the truth. This is science. They don't know. Human wisdom is folly. And God is stripping that away. His goal is, in the whole process of this, and I think his goal in shaking us as people, in shaking us as a country, is ultimately to shake us to the point that we realize that our foundation that we're living on is not strong, and our found we need to turn back to God. His goal is to enable us to turn back to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's God's goal for the Egyptians. We're not going to talk about that this week. That'll be next week. But that is his goal, for them to actually turn to him and to worship him. So what's he going to do? He's going to shake their foundations to that point. 
where they become people of God. And through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But we must always remember, there's, while these, these narratives that we read in Isaiah are for those nations, there's also some things that we get from it. This is not just for them. This is for all of us. It's for all of us. It's also for the Jewish nation, for, the, for Judah, and for us. It's a warning that we should not turn to human wisdom. What we might think is politically expedient in our world, we have to avoid it because that may not be what God's plans are. We, we talked about that last week. How are we supposed to live? We're not supposed to say, tomorrow I'm going to go here. We would say, if it's God's will, that's what I'm going to do. I want to kind of give you a, a reminder of what the political landscape was like at the time. We have two major superpowers. It always seemed to be that way with Israel. Israel was always stuck in the middle of two major superpowers, either Egypt and Assyria, Egypt or Babylon, ends up being Egypt and Greece, Egypt and the Romans, until Rome takes over all of them, or the Assyrians took over all of Egypt. They seem stuck in the middle squeezed two nations fighting over a little piece of land. Sound familiar? Same thing happens today. Assyria is in the north. And, and you might think of them as kind of the, the Nazis of the ancient world. They were. They were ruthless. They were strong. They conquered their enemies. And what they would do is they'd conquer them and then they'd spread them throughout their the, the whole area that Assyria was having, having control over so that they couldn't get back together again and revolt. So not only would you be taken into captivity, you'd be separated from those you know and your fellow man, fellow Jews. And then you have Egypt in the south, which was always strong because it was the breadbasket. The Nile River always fed them well. It was wealthy due to their importance as an agricultural center. Then you have the little nations like Moab and Elam, Edom and Ab the Ammonites. You have these Philistines that are also trying to struggle, and they're always going after and attacking Israel. So Israel find itself, finds itself squeezed between these nations because those other smaller nations are making alliances with Egypt or making alliances with Syria. We play games, don't we? politically all the time so little judah is obviously going to be tempted to join in these alliances to protect themselves sometimes the nations would turn to syria other times they turn to egypt but time after time god sends his prophets to tell them not to turn to man do not trust in man's wisdom trust in god Why trust in a nation? Because that's what he's saying. Why would you trust in a nation that I'm going to judge? God says, I'm going to judge them. I'm going to, I'm going to do things to them you're not going to imagine. Why would you trust in them? Trust in me. Why would you worship the created when we can worship the creator? It just makes more sense. So let's look at how God is going to judge Egypt. Isaiah 19 says an oracle 
concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt. By the way, um, just as a little side note, uh, he's a cloud rider. Cloud rider was always a term for Baal, Baal, where we get Baals about, by the way. It was a Philistine god. He was always riding on the clouds, controlling the weather. God is, and God is saying, no, I'm the one. I'm the cloud rider. Riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt, and the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence, and the heart of the Egyptians will melt away within them. And I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians, and they will fight against each other and against his neighbor. City against city, kingdom against kingdom, and the spirit of the Egyptians within them will be emptied out. And I will confound their counsels, and they will inquire of the idols and the sorcerers and the medians and the necromancers. Necromancers are ones who speak to the dead to get answers. And that still happens today. People try to do that. And I will give over the Egyptians into the hand of a hard master. And a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord God of hosts. And the waters of the sea will be dried up, and the river will be dry and parched, and its canals will become foul, and the branches of Egypt's Nile will diminish and dry up. Reeds and rushes will rot away. There will be bare places by the Nile, on the brink of the Nile, and all that is sown by the Nile will be parched, will be driven away, and will be no more. The fishermen will mourn and lament all who cast a hook in the Nile, and they will languish who spread nets on the water. The workers in combed flax will be in despair, and the weavers of white cotton, those who are the pillars of the land, will be crushed, and all who work for pay will be free. God's going to judge Egypt. He's going to judge them in every way possible. Some of these judgments have occurred. Um, so others haven't. Some are yet to come. We know that the Nile has not dried up. The sea has not dried up. It's still there. The Nile still flows. Not nearly as richly as it used to. But God's going to judge them. He's going to judge their religion. He's going to judge their politics. He's going to judge their economy. And he's going to judge the supposed wisdom of their counselors and of their military. So let's kind of look at this. God's appearance in the clouds is going to fill them with dread. They're going to see God in the clouds. And I believe this may actually be a reference to Christ coming again. They will see him in the clouds. They will be filled with dread. Their hearts will melt with fear of seeing the coming judgment. Now, could you imagine? You deny God, you deny God, and you see Christ coming in the clouds. Your heart will melt. See, there's, and there's a, there's a very close relationship between our heart and our spirit. If our heart melts, our spirit is weakened. Our spirit is drained out. It's emptied. So as their hearts are melting with fear, their spirits are going to be emptied. And it will lead to even more despair. I want you to, I want you to imagine the, the plagues that happened in Egypt as they back in the time of Moses when progressively they got worse to the point of the firstborn child of all, every Egyptian household and they're all the firstborn of all the animals died in a night. Talk about despair. And their souls, their very spirits just dissipating. They can't do anything. 
This will be the wrath that will bring up memories of the last time, of those times when the plagues hit. And then in their despair, what do they do? They turn on each other. I've talked about this before. How long do you think it would take before? If, if all the supply chains stopped and there was no food in the grocery store, how long do you think it would take before society crumbled? Not months. Not years. Very short time. And people will turn on each other. That's what's going to happen to the Egyptians. They're going to fight against themselves. We see this idea of civil strife and conflict. A nation that once was united will be filled with disunity and division. Sound familiar? I, I think that's what's happening in our nation today. We are a nation that used to be united, at least looked like it was united. And now we're being filled with disunity and division. And, and believe me, I think it's intentional. A lot of the new ideas that are coming out of academia are intended to Divide us. Divide and conquer. But see, we must remember that God is sovereign over everybody's heart. God is allowing this to happen. The question is, you know, we got to look at it and know it and how to know how to react to it and realize that it's God who is allowing this to, to occur. When we get to Isaiah 45, we're going to read this again. It says, I form, because God says, I form light, I create darkness, I make well-being, I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. It's God who does it. He allows it. He either does it himself, you know, intentionally makes it happen himself, or he allows it to happen. And we can't judge him on what he's doing, what he's allowing to happen. There's a purpose behind it. And he, he's a little smarter than we are. He knows what he's doing. But we have to be faithful. No nation is outside of the sovereignty of God. When we find ourselves, as we do today, a nation that's full of strife and conflict, we have to realize that we need to repent as a nation, as people. We need to repent for our unfaithfulness to God. We need to return back to him. God's going to expose, for the Egyptian, he's going to expose the uselessness of the idolatry. Egypt was, a, was very well known for their religion. Most of us would know this is, these are all the gods. Most of us would know Ra, probably the most common. But Amon was another one. Osiris, the, the lord of the dead. It was a very complicated, a very intricate religious pathway. It was very occultic. And I'm, I'm, as I'm reading things today and as I'm watching, I'm seeing that the occult is making a resurgence. And as I've said before, I'm fearful that the occult is also making a resurgence within the church because there are churches who are allowing occultic practices to come in. There, it was a very dark and a very mysterious religion. It was evil. And in the end, it's worthless. It doesn't give them the answers they need. We, we, we see throughout, I'm, I'm, I'm back in Genesis and I'm reading, and I'm reading where Pharaoh, Pharaoh had the dream, the dream of the cows and the dream of the corn. That was gonna, it was God telling him that there's going to be seven years of feasting and then seven years of a fast. 
And he calls all his wise men. Not a single one of them can interpret it. Boy, that's pretty sad wisdom. Joseph could. And then I think of Daniel and, and Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to have everybody killed. All the wise men killed because they couldn't figure out his dream. And he wouldn't even tell them what the dream was. But Daniel comes tells him what the dream was and what it meant. Because it's God. God is speaking through him and telling him what he needs to know. I think cult is making a resurgence, not just in our world, but in our churches. And we need to pray against it. And we need to be aware of it. The fourth thing God is going to do, he's going to pass judgment that's going to be rather fatal for the Egyptians. They're going to be handed over to a king who is very ruthless. Now, there are multiple possibilities throughout history of who this could have been. Some believe it was the Assyrian king, Esarhaddon who defeated Egypt in 670 B.C. It was possible he was a pretty ruthless king. Or the Persian king, King Darius I, which was in the 5th century B.C. Egypt was the prize for conquering. It was the breadbasket. Every nation that has conquered that area has actually always tried to take Egypt Probably what most Egyptians are going to feel is probably the, the economic. You know, we you can't can't watch the news or hear anything about one. Either. You're either talking about the rise of gas prices, which are now coming down a little bit, but or the 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 rise of food costs. And I, I don't believe we've really felt the full brunt of it yet, because if you don't understand, we've been we're eating what we had what we made last year. By the way, this is what we've got. Next year is going to be tougher because that food did not get made like it was before. The problems won't hit until next year. But God's going to touch them. He's going to paralyze the economic life of the country. So you got to wonder, does God judge economies? Yes, he does. He's going to hit the Nile. He's going to dry it up. He's going to hit Egypt's economy. It's going to come to a stop. Egypt is totally dependent on the Nile. Not just for transportation, but also for watering. That They would have canals that would water their fields. So they would divert the water into the canals. The canals would water the fields. Because I don't know if you've, you've seen pictures of Egypt. It's a desert. But they also fish it. It's the source of everything that they have. It's, a, it's the foundation of their economy. And God's going to dry it up. Without the Nile, there's no Egypt. Without the Nile, there's no Egypt. Famine obviously follows. When, when food becomes scarce, famine follows. And when famine follows, obviously sickness follows after that because people aren't getting the nutrition that they need. One of the ways that we have kind of defeated a lot of sicknesses in our world is because we've allowed, we've, number one, sanitation's gotten better, but also nutrition's gotten better. We, the availability of food is much greater in the developing nations than it was before. We still have problems. We still have areas that are, that are hurting. But just think about this. Think about what would happen if all the rivers in the center of the United States dried up. Anybody paying attention to what's happening at Lake Mead out in Las Vegas? It's going down like in a week. It'll go down 10 feet. Now th That lake is deep. There's still places where it's 300 feet deep. And this is the water that supplies a lot of Vegas. 
a lot of the surrounding areas. They can't even run the Hoover Dam right now because there's not enough water to run the hydroelectric dam. What happens? It's not just about boaters and skiers not being able to be on the water. It's about fields not getting water, people not having water, people dying. Egypt is today, think about this, Egypt is today is not even one of the top 15 exporters of wheat. By that time of Isaiah, they were probably number one. Think about what happens, though, if God was to judge the United States or judge Russia or Armenia, which has a lot of the, not Armenia, but Ukraine has a lot of the wheat that's sent out throughout the world, at least it was before the war. Imagine if God judged us the same way. What would happen? We, we, like to, we like to think of ourselves as being in a microcosm where it's just us by ourselves, and what happens to us really doesn't matter to the world, but understand that when we, when we lock down, the world suffers because we supply so much to the world. What happens when God judges us? What's going to happen to the world economy then? We export, between us and Russia, we export 13% of the world's wheat. Without either one of us, famine is going to spread worldwide. And the whole point here is, why would we trust in a nation that God is going to judge in this way? Even, even our own. Why do we trust in Washington, D.C., when everybody in Washington, D.C. is going to be, they're going to stand before their maker and be judged. As a nation, we will be judged. Why would we trust in that? And not trusting God. If they're so fragile that the drying up of a river destroys them and destroys and causes so much trouble, why put hope in them? Our hope must be in the Lord. So God judges human wisdom. God judges economies. And here he's going to judge some wisdom in verses 11 through 15. The princes of Zoan are utterly foolish. The princes of Zoan were a group that were known for their wisdom. They were advisors to Pharaoh. The wisest counselors of Pharaoh had given stupid counsel. I don't like my kids using the word stupid, calling each other stupid. But here God is calling these counselors stupid. How can you say to Pharaoh, I am son of the wise, a son of ancient kings? Where then are your wise men? Let them tell you that they might know what the Lord of hosts has proposed against Egypt. The princes of Zoan have become fools, and the princes of Memphis are deluded. Those who are the cornerstones of her tribes have made Egypt stagger. The Lord has mingled within her a spirit of confusion. See, God is doing this. God is allowing this to happen, but he's mingling in a spirit of confusion. We could, we could change these names and say, where are the wise men in Washington, wise women in Washington? Where are the advisors to the presidents? who claim to be so wise, God has given them a spirit of confusion. It would make a lot of sense because some of the things they do, I think, are crazy. And they will make Egypt stagger in all its deeds as a drunken man staggers in his vomit. Well, that's lovely. And there will be nothing for Egypt that head or tail, palm branch or reed may See, again and again in the book of Isaiah, we see God's bitterest attack is against human pride and arrogance. 
for us to consider ourselves wise in our own eyes offends God. If you remember back in Isaiah 5, it says, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Like many nations today, Egypt did not need to worry about food. The Nile had always done what it always did. It always flooded at the right time. It had been doing it for centuries, as long as anybody could know. But we see, we as we as especially in the West, we have this linear view. We think everything's going to continue the way it's been. There's no guarantee for that. Because, see, we, we think that way because then what it allows us to do, it allows us to pursue other things such as philosophy and religion and music and culture because we know that tomorrow our jobs are going to be there. We know that we know if we go to the grocery store that milk's going to be there and we're going to be able to buy eggs and if we go into the gas station, there's going to be gas. And There's no guarantee for that. This is what is occurring in Egypt. They had developed a complex system of wisdom and philosophy and, and, and industry and, and, re, and religion and economy. And the Pharaoh was given, quote, wise counsel. And they were proud of their wisdom. We can see it today. You know, our expert, our, our, our leaders gather around them experts who claim they have the answers and know what needs to be done. They're fools. They're clueless. They seem to know what they're doing. They act like they know what they're doing. But the reality is that their motives may not be quite as pure as we think they are. Many are educated way beyond their intelligence to the point that they seem foolish. And it was the same way back in Egypt. There's nothing new under the sun. Solomon was right. Humans are humans, and, and we do the same thing over and over again. God says, I'm going to frustrate the wisdom of the wise. You think you can tell me, God's saying this, you think you can tell me how to play my game? You're a fool. What I say is going to happen. What I want to happen, happens. I am the creator. I am. He's saying, I am God. You're not. As wise as you think you are, you're a fool. Look back again at verse 12. It says, well, where then are your wise men? Where are they? Let them tell you that they might know what the Lord of hosts has proposed against Egypt. You know, the wise men in Egypt, just like the wise men in our halls of Washington, D.C., or the wise men, quote, wise men who, and women who are in the United Nations, they can predict whatever they want. You can say whatever you want is going to happen. But that doesn't mean that God has to do it. That God has to allow it to happen. We need to pray to God. God plans to do will happen. And God delights in his plans. For the arrogant and the boastful advisors. He delights in what's going to happen to them. But he also delights in what he has planned for us. I know the plans I have for you. I know this was said to, to 
Joshua, but it, it, and I don't think God necessarily meant it for all of us, but it tells us his heart. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. So where are we going to turn for wise counsel? What are, we, what are we relying on for our future? What are we, what are we placing our trust in? What are we, what are, who, are we, who are we looking to to give us the counsel that we need? I would suggest that we need to get on our knees and we need to ask God what we should do. We need to pray to God in the opposite spirit of Isaiah 19.12. The spirit is, your wise men know nothing. They're going to try to tell you what I'm going to do. Don't listen to them. We need to do the opposite. We need to go to God and say, God, what are you going to do? What do you want us to do? We need to say that, God, I don't know what's going to happen. And sometimes I don't know what to do. Show me. Show me. But one thing we do know is that we are his children. And while we don't expect God to reveal to us everything he's going to do, I don't expect God just to, you know, I wish he would. I wish he would just lay out the plan for the next 10 years. That would be great. But it's not what God does. God gives us little bits and pieces because we need to have faith. We need to trust him. But we need to go to him and we need to ask him to show us what we need to do. And by doing so, God's going to give us wisdom, his wisdom and his counsel. Not wisdom of man, but wisdom of God. We need to rely upon the Lord of salvation for judgment day. It's coming. We've got to be ready. And the only way we're ready is through our faith in Jesus Christ. But what about today? How are, we going to, how are you going to provide for your family? How are you going to make wise choices? What are you going to do? You, we don't know exactly what God's going to do, but we know what the end game is. We know he's coming back. We know that it's going to come to a place where we're all together as one people worshiping him. It's going to be perfect peace. We know this. But what are we going to do today? And sometimes, you know, it is very disconcerting to not, disconcerting to not know what God's going to do today. But we have this. You and I have the ability and the, and the wonderful opportunity to go to the throne of grace, to go to the creator of the universe, place our trust in him, find mercy and grace to help us in our times of trouble, in our times of doubt, in our times of unknowing what's going to happen and what we should do. And we can ask him, God, show me. Show me what to do. Go to the cross. If you wonder if your sins are forgiven, go to the cross. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he said, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. You want to know why the world thinks we're crazy sometimes? Because Jesus is a stumbling block to them. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The, the most foolish thing that God can do and God has done and God has said is wiser than anything any man has ever said. I always like to read some of the little quips that Mark Twain would give. Because I thought, I, the man was brilliant. Subtle, yet hilarious at the same time. And I can just imagine... 
Those seem like foolishness to God's wisdom. I can't wait to hear what God, all God's going to say beyond what's in this book for eternity. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Why would we focus on anything else except for Christ? This is the message for the ancient Egypt. This is the message for Judah. This is the message for us today. What is the foundation of your life? What are you basing your life on? What are you trusting in? As you look towards the future, what are you, who are you trusting in? Where do you find comfort in the midst of the turmoil? Are you trusting in your own wisdom? Are you trusting in the wisdom of a financial advisor? Are you trusting in the wisdom of Washington, D.C.? Are you trusting in the wisdom? Who are you trusting in? I don't know about you, but I don't want to trust my own wisdom because it's cloudy. God's desire is that we no longer trust human wisdom. We don't trust in the things that don't last. And those things that are going to disappoint us. We trust in God. And he is shaking our foundations so that we can trust in him. So we can have a solid foundation so that we can minister to those who do not know who Jesus is. They've never experienced him. Or if they have, they've forgotten about him. And if we are firmly founded and firmly, firmly in Christ, we have the ability to share that with people who don't know him whose foundations are being shaken, who are fearful and have no idea what's going on. They need to know the foundation, which is Christ Jesus. We'll close with Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.